I'm Jared. I'm Nathaniel. And welcome to A Cup of Tea. Everyone's intelligence has been shaped by distinct personal experiences. If you're curious to shed light on both humanity's collective and intimate truths, then have a seat with an open mind and a full cup as we examine reality through the blurry lens of our own individual perspectives. Have a sip while we talk about fusion. Welcome back, Steeps, to another episode of A Cup of Tea. And today I am joined by the lovely, wonderful, majestic Nathaniel. How are you doing, Nathaniel? Oh, I'm doing good. Thank you. I appreciate that. As always, the beautiful, the handsome, the gorgeous, the stunning, and the powerful. It's a pleasure to be here. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. I appreciate it. And how is your day treating you, Nathaniel? Um, I think my day's dreaming me pretty well. It's actually going to be definitely a pretty busy day for me, as, you know, as, as Mondays tend to be for, you know, many people out here in the world. But, um, you know, I'm doing pretty good. Um, get ready to take a moment um, from my time and my day to dedicate to the space for the next 30 minutes to an hour, hour and a half, however long this conversation goes, um, just to talking with um, a good buddy of mine. So happy to happy to be here. Absolutely. Well, I will just say you were a beautiful person inside and out, Nathaniel, and I am lucky to be able to record in this space with you, just given both of our busy schedules or time constraints. But this is such an important conversation to have. And I do just want to give a shameless plug real quick to your Into the Descent podcast. I know you have essentially brought the podcast back after a nearly three year hiatus. And this sort of rebirth that you have going on it, it's really it's it's wonderful to hear and i've tuned in to both of your new episodes and i'm excited for the trajectory that you're back on and just seeing you back in that space again it's really cool to see you keep it going and, and really exercise those creative juices and i was i was actually inspired to hear what inspired you to get back into your own podcast so Hi, thank you. I appreciate that. Yeah, no, it's good to be back, man. Um, you know, I think really it's just a fun creative space that I have. Um, I'm really happy to be shared with Brandon um, because I think that was really the one of the things I was looking for. One of the things in the meantime that I really was able to really enjoy with ACOT um, is that it's an, you know, having that narrative space. I didn't want to do mm-hmm. the descent if it was just being myself and with how busy, you know, I am in you know, my final year of my graduate program and working as I do and on top of just living life in 2022, um, you know, it's been a lot. So, you know, being able to have that space where you can have that kind of just narrative flow and that freedom and really kind of have that, you know, just shared space of you know just like what are we even talking about you know just trying to understand what you know make this reality reality when you know we're just two dudes talking right absolutely you know and i think that's just it's a very um exciting thing to have on and very excited to you know explore that with you again you know because you've been a recurring guest on the show before too as well um you know a friend is of a pod as they say in the industry right <laughs> um so we'll see we'll see how it gets going um but you know yeah. for right now at least i'm really happy to be here and sharing this space with you and i'm um, taking this time um you know out of uh the everyday life to be able to have a conversation you put it very well very succinctly about why this is such an important space for both of us and i'm excited for the journey i'm excited to hopefully even have some collaboration opportunities with the descent as well going forward So let's go ahead and transition to the topic at hand today, which of course, all you steeps, you heard from the top that today's topic is fusion and very specifically nuclear fusion. So there is a very fascinating article, Nathaniel, that you shared with me not too long ago, and it, it went into a recent experiment that happened in Europe in which they were actually able to sustain nuclear fusion, albeit for a very small amount of time, but they were actually able to sustain a reaction. And I'm just fascinated by this because obviously both of us took a sustainability course when we were in college together, and that course was energy science. And I've always been fascinated with nuclear fusion. I understand that nuclear fission is the technology we have today, and it's very clean. Obviously, there are dangers with it, but as long as it's controlled, 
it can be done in a safe, clean fashion. But I think long-term, like looking forward a century or more, if we're able to unlock the potential of nuclear fusion, which is literally how the sun is fueled, right? The, the fuel of the stars, if we're able to harness that on Earth, like that is just limitless potential. Like you wouldn't even need like solar, you wouldn't even need hydroelectric, you wouldn't need nuclear fission. Obviously we'd still have those things, but like it's, it's insane to think that if we were able to truly sustain a large enough reaction consistently, we would meet all of our energy demands and then some. I mean, what was your initial reaction before we kind of like really dive into the article itself? So I really think it's like, you know, it is, it is that really cool thing where it's like, this is like harvesting the power of the sun. Like right? it is that like, like, like just like, like intrinsic cool nerd thing that is like, just like really, really cool. And I think what's really promising about this is like that this is a sustained growth um from what we've seen and at a more rapid pace than what we were originally expecting to mm -hmm. um and you know me um when especially when it comes back to that um sustainability course that we took back in our undergrad i'm someone that's very interested in nuclear energy um i think it's an uh, um when um there, there's promising potential to really be not just a, a stopgap but a new modality um and to help be transition points into that and um, this use of fusion technology is just um, to be able to have this basically um, doubling output of it um, when this is when this is still already considered old technology now because of what's new newly being implemented is um, this is and, and what they and the, the thing that they stress is important. This is not something that's going to help in the 2020s. This is right. gonna, this is something that's going to start making the stage and really making an impact on the energy cycles in maybe the late 2040s at the earliest probably maybe mid 2050s is a realistic expectation point for the implementation of this stuff right but this is stuff that really is uh, a new modality that if um, implemented could really change how humans interact with the energy grid and the networks that are associated with that and that's that's cool man and that's 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 the kind of nerd shit that i'm about <laughs> Well, yeah, I mean, think about this. We were born too late to see virtually the whole world discovered. Obviously, there's corners of the world that have not technically been discovered yet. But for all intents and purposes, we've seen what Earth has to offer. We were born too early to really explore deep space. Like, we're really only able to probe the solar system. But to think that we were born to live in a time where we could see this energy revolution it's really like cool to think about you know by the time we're old and gray we could be in a completely different energy dynamic a whole new grid system new sources of power like these are things that maybe it'd be as revolutionary as the internet like nobody would have seen coming going into the 21st century right and i mean nuclear fusion is only in its infant stage but it's like you said, it's really exciting to see how rapidly it's growing right now, even though it's strictly experimental. The fact that they're having good results is really encouraging. And hopefully they can continue to sustain that momentum going forward, right? No, I really do hope, you know, it's going to take a lot of, I mean, because right now we're seeing actually kind of some, some of the dangers um, that are with uh, nuclear energy actually in the Ukraine, right? You know, with mm -hmm. everything that happened with Chernobyl, that the battle yeah. that happened there and the elephant's foot being um, kind of potentially disturbed. And even the nuclear power plant that was had a battle that had uh, caused fires in the facility and they were shelling on it um, within the Ukraine um, as well. You know, those are real dangers that is with this, you know, you know, and unfortunately, one of those things we do have to account for is war, you know, in this thing yeah. and the dangers that war does provide with those different um, modes of energy. But because the devastation for them is, you know, more significant. But, you know, that is the promise with this kind of um, uh, low impact, well, lower impact nuclear source. Right. You know, that right. is with this type of fusion. Right. You know, so it's interesting to see those things going to be balanced moving forward. Yeah. And you made a really good point, too. I mean, war definitely can crumble society in more ways than one. We're seeing that right now between Russia and Ukraine. And I honestly think that. I mean, just in the scope of energy, like anytime there's a conflict, energy is always a target, right? Because it's like, what better way to crumble 
a country's infrastructure, anyone's infrastructure, than attacking the grid, attacking their source of energy. And that is always a high risk situation for like anywhere on earth, really. Yeah, because so. that's not an energy source you can just deactivate. No. If you just stop doing what the processes are involved with nuclear energy, at least in the form that it's currently exists in, um, that's not just turning off the off switch. That's creating a, a, a catastrophe and a potential disaster situation, right? So um, there's yeah. a different there's a different nuance that occurs when it comes to that kind of different energy modality. Well, we even saw, remember when we discussed the Texas blackout, right? With the whole grid getting frozen and everything like that. We saw whole power plants get shut down in that situation. And it took a while to get them back up and running, hence the blackouts, right? Um, it, it's not, a lot of people think it's easy to just turn off a power plant and just turn it back on. Like, it's really not that easy because first you have to, like, actually harness that energy from whatever it's coming from, whether that's coal, whether that's natural gas, whether that's nuclear fission, hydroelectric. It takes time to harvest that energy and then convert that into the electricity that we use on the grid. And because it's not instantaneous, there's always going to be that lag between the supply and the demand. And that is actually what would actually screws everything up. Hence, also look at during the pandemic when most of our supply chains screeched to a halt. Look at how we're still facing the repercussions of that two years later, two years gone by, and there's still shortages of raw materials all over the world because we stopped production, right? Or we we really brought down the level of production to a point where it was difficult to scale that back up in such a short amount of time. So you definitely see that with energy as well. No, you really do. And it's it is and you know, that's some of the thing that is potentially interesting of the next technology steps is maybe having that actually on off button, um, you know, that comes with it, um, as we'll discuss probably later on in this episode as we get more into the actual technological side of it. But, you know, that is the, the human factor when these elements usually you have to account for. <laughs> I mean, yeah. that's just that that's that's a hard reality. And I'll just say this, too, for the audience. Battery storage innovation is critical for our efforts to move the grid forward and to be more sustainable as a species because again as we said right now it's hard to stop and start electricity generation right likewise if you don't use it you lose it so we're constantly producing more than we need to meet everyone's demand but that's also wasteful to a degree and if not many people are using electricity as they should then we're really wasting a lot of energy so yeah, and then that's some of the biggest steps that are actually finally being taken forward because actually what has been acknowledged as what well, was repressed technology as being finally um, re-explored and being innovated on and taking the next big steps forward with. So um, that is very exciting that we're actually starting to see um, the, the growths and storage technology with that batteries provide, um, especially in in combination with, you know, potentially um, this type of uh, fusion um, development too. Um, that would be huge because then being able to just, that would be able to essentially do an on-off switch situation, potentially, right. you know, in, at least in thought experiments, right? So yeah. um, um, that is something to definitely keep. Um, and like I said, again, this isn't the 2020s. This is the, probably still the 2040s at the earliest late 2040s, right? right. Uh, but having that on-off technology ability is just uh, fantastic. It's really interesting. Yeah, absolutely. And with that being said, let's actually get into the promise of nuclear fusion technology. So I'm going to dive into this article. It's titled Major Breakthrough on Nuclear Fusion Energy by Jonathan Amos, who is a BBC science correspondent. And this article is from BBC News. So let's get right into it. So first few things that stand out. Of course, this whole experiment was performed in the United Kingdom at the JET Laboratory. This stands for the Joint European Taurus. And it, quote, smashed its own world record for the amount of energy it could extract by squeezing together two forms of hydrogen. And what is, again, what's remarkable about nuclear fusion is it, how clean it is. It is a very low carbon energy, very low radiation, it, it's virtually the cleanest energy that we could 
ascertain aside from renewables like solar and hydroelectric and, and those type of energy sources, despite those energy sources also, like any source of energy, but requiring resources to actually harvest that energy. Depending, depending on how the technology is implemented with those um, greener sources, though, could be argued would be more devastating on the local environmental um, um, sustainability than it would be with this type of fusion development, too, as well. This no nuclear uh, yield. You know, so there is that argument, though, that depending on what how you're defining um, sustainable impact, um, that this one could be considered more than even those like um, non-waste produce, producing ones. Yeah, because I, I think what I really want to drive home with this is that on the surface, solar power and hydroelectric power might look cleaner because it's like it, it's really like harnessing the power of the sun directly from the sun, sunlight. We're not trying to recreate the power of the sun here on Earth. We're harnessing kinetic energy from flowing water, right? But especially in, in terms of solar power, think about the raw materials required to construct mm -hmm. all the solar panels out there and the hydroelectric dams, how massive they have to be and how much maintenance and raw materials are required for that effort. Not to mention for hydroelectric power, you need a lot of dams and to satisfy our needs. Like we don't really have enough running water on earth the world's river source is already so damned as is right like that's the, the there's like there's already like very serious environmental and ecological impacts that have happened from just not just the sourcing of material but the actual implementation of space use of um damming and um solar fields and um all these things too that do need to be you know actually actively acknowledged yeah um you know, so there's these different there's 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 different ways to mitigate those implementations and ways to um, do that. But the some of the, you know those the, those those acts need to be mindfully done, just as you know with this kind of um, um, energy implementation would need to be done as well. You know, so it's just those are those are conversations that you need to seriously have about how is this implemented to be actually successful. We can't just say we're going to go do it. We actually have to like know how are we doing it because how we're right. doing it is just as important as doing it. Yeah, I mean, that that's essentially like saying, well, in theory, we can account for all of our energy needs with renewables, right? But that's easier said than done. I mean, even if you isolate the ecological impact of hydroelectric power, we don't have the capacity to generate the required amount of electricity from hydroelectric alone. Solar panels, technically speaking, we could power the world with solar panels alone. But the, um, the sheer amount of solar panels required is truly insane. Like we would need to cover the Sahara Desert equivalent in solar panels. Now just think about the amount of raw materials required for that, the amount of maintenance, like it's immense and the ecological impact on the environment to cover a swath of land that massive with solar arrays, right? Now compare that with nuclear fusion where you could build these medium-sized reactors, you know, pretty comparable to a normal power plant of today and be able to have such a massive energy density that you need less of those plants to satisfy the same need. Like the exciting potential of nuclear fusion is one day being able to harness the energy of the sun would allow us to satisfy all of our energy needs and then some with fewer power plants and a much smaller footprint on the environment. And you gotta think about it too. Once these plants are built, and they're already essentially taking care of most of what we need, you know, it's not like we have to keep continuously going out and building a new plant every year. Like this is something where it's easy to scale upwards and you're really able to limit the footprint, as I said, on the natural environment. That's no joke. And then they, that is why you have to have a serious conversation with that because, um, you know, as this technology develops, it is a, it's a different modality. Um, it's a different way of interacting with these sources. It's a different way of having these exchanges. But, you know, we have to actually see that this implementation is going to be done well. Um, so it, it is, for all intents and purposes, human proof, right? 
you know right um you have to make it so that these modalities are just a part of the brickwork right mm -hmm. you know of how, how how people interact um and you know that's and you have to remember what they've done it before they did it with the implementation of electricity and gasoline these are different modality changes and everything like that and have to make these you know human proof but you know and human proof to an extent right you know how many people actually die still from car crashes and um um, all these different things, you know, yeah. hopefully we can learn from that and make it safer and, you know, in it's execution. But, um, you know, let's, uh, let's keep going. Let's take those next steps in this conversation with it. It's something that we have to be really intentional about because, like you said, human proofing is such an important concept. Like, by having nuclear fusion power, clean, re renewable energy, um, essentially renewable because there's an abundance of hydrogen out there. Like we're not depleting a natural resource like oil and gas or uranium that we're never going to get back, at least not for hundreds of millions of years that we don't have, right, of time. But at the same time, I think there's a constant trade-off, Nathaniel, between how do we sustain our demand for energy and resources to better the quality of life for all of humanity and get everyone to live essentially like they live in a first-world country as opposed to minimizing impact and footprint on the environment. Nuclear fusion is one of those things that solves both the problems, but it is a bit of a slippery slope too. If you're gonna look at any cons here, if we're able to create an abundance of clean, renewable energy across various sources, including nuclear fusion, who's to say that humanity won't get greedy and start to crave energy consumption even more? I mean, they're only saying that the internet is going to continue growing and expanding. I mean, it's already a behemoth as it is, but I mean, we could be looking at 50 to 100 years from now that just about anyone can stream just about anything on any of their devices because, you know, we're going to demand that sort of capacity. No, and that's why it really is taking the next like steps and like in those new modalities and like that is like the actual energy demands and like having those hard questions. And that's what, you know, really in a lot of ways, um, you know, quieted the original Malthusian thinking of um, carrying load and population capacity was those innovative changes that made that did change, fundamentally change um agricultural and farming systems yep. and it's going to be continuing to make those changes as in the energy with the energy field you know that's what's going to be able to allow for all these different resources um, um and for us to be able to take those next steps as a society as a species you know as, as humans if it's, it's going to be having to be able to explore these things and that's why you know we're still talking in terms of ifs and maybes and whens uh, we're not talking yep. about immediate implementations and this like you said um they, this uh, they only turned on and were able to collect it for like a like second like what was it in the actual article? five seconds five seconds and that's a huge step they were able to harness 59 megajoules of energy over five seconds which is equivalent to 11 megawatts of power yeah, it's in reading right there. That's not, you know, um, this is in that's double what it was from 1997. Right. So, um, you know, it's not a lot. Of, it's not. It's not a lot of energy. You know, it says it's only enough to boil about uh, 60 kettles worth of water. Right. So. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's, that's uh, you know, but you know, the, so the 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 eco ecometrics on it still doesn't work out, but. Right. Um, it's getting there. It's they're taking those steps forward towards that actual. It's 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 being proved in concept. Yeah, and maybe we can think about the growth of this space of energy in a similar fashion to how, for years, we've hypothesized about the growth of semiconductor chips. Have you ever heard of Moore's Law, Nathaniel, about how every so often, like, the processing power of a semiconductor chip is supposed to grow exponentially or, like, double or something like that? Mm -hmm. And I think that's something that you could even make an analogy to that here. We were able to double what we did back in 1997, but we're probably gonna double what we did this year in a couple years or, or something down the line, because as we start to gather momentum and we build the required facilities and, and harness you know, the appropriate resources, refine our technologies, we're able to expand our abilities to do something like this. And in fact, they're actually this is one of the last tests that is ever going to be carried out at the Jet Laboratory because they're building a new facility called ITER in southern France. And it is supposed to have a 
much larger capacity to carry out similar nuclear fusion experiments. And that is also what's exciting to these scientists is that not only were they able to create these conditions for five seconds at JET, but in a much larger Taurus-like facility, the prospect of them being able to sustain a more powerful nuclear fusion reaction for longer is really high. Like the chances of that happening are actually really good. And that is what has people excited that we're approaching that tipping point where one of these experiments, we're gonna get the right combination of pressure, temperature, and we're gonna be able to sustain a reaction for long enough that we can say it's sustainable or we're getting to the point where like you know maybe today we have a nuclear fusion reaction going for five seconds maybe in a couple years we get one to go for a few hours maybe 10 years from now we get one to go for days and then maybe two decades from now we get one that just does not stop right i mean that's all hypothesized yep. but that's kind of the trajectory that we're looking at here in a moore's law type of fashion right and it's with precedent. That's the thing too. It's not just like it's not just a thought experiment. It's with precedent. Right. There is evidence to back it up. Is what you're saying. It's not like we're just, yeah. you know, going out there, going on a limb, and saying we think that it's going to do this without any proof that that actually is going to happen. No, it's a genuine. Yeah. We we actually have proof, unlike flat Earth, right? Yes. <laughs> so. But no, it, it's a very, it's a very exciting prospect. And I think one thing that's really fascinating about this type of energy too, is that a lot of people probably sitting at home think, well, how on earth are we supposed to, like literally how on earth are we supposed to replicate the fuel that fires the sun or, or the fuel that powers the sun? How are we supposed to recreate those conditions on planet earth considering the sun is so much larger than the earth and is so much you know hotter overall like people were probably thinking like how is that even possible like we're on one hand we have a, a massive star and on the other we have just this tiny little rock floating in space that is bound to revolving this entity because it's so much larger right but the thing is is in in evaluating this from a physics perspective it actually makes a lot of sense and actually states it in this article right here. So essentially the sun is able to sustain nuclear fusion in its core with temperatures around 10 million degrees Celsius. Obviously we, that is with the immense pressures within the core of the sun itself, because you have to think it's such a massive body. It is pressing with immense weight on that core. So with a temperature of 10 million degrees Celsius, the sun is able to sustain nuclear fusion. On Earth, we don't have nearly the amount of pressure required to sustain a nuclear fusion reaction at a mere 10 million, a mere 10 million degrees Celsius. Like, we, we, we just could never replicate that pressure here on Earth. Even the pressure on the surface of Venus, 93 times the atmospheric pressure of Earth, that's not nearly enough, right? But what we could do here on Earth is we can't control the pressures effectively, but we can control the temperature. So they've been able to trigger these nuclear fusion reactions, not with 10 million degrees Celsius, but 100 million degrees Celsius. And if it is just mind boggling to you, Steve, as it is even for me a little bit, to think how on earth are they creating temperatures that hot? Well. There really is no material on Earth that is capable of holding materials that are that hot, right? But what essentially no. they do is in this torus, they fill it with this sort of solution, a superheated gas or plasma inside this donut-shaped magnetic field, which is the torus. And within that medium is where the reaction actually happens. So it's essentially, think of it as like a, like a filled donut, right? It's a funny analogy, but it's like the nuclear fusion reaction never has to actually touch the walls of the donut or break through. It's all within that jelly in the middle, in the interior. And that's really the fascinating part is because it's a different state of matter, it's able to effectively store that reaction within 100 million degrees Celsius and be heated to such a temperature without melting the surrounding materials 
allowing us to essentially recreate the sun here on earth. It's just, it's remarkable. Like I, I honestly, I know I just went on a ramble about that, Nathaniel, but it's just, it's such a fascinating topic to me. Like I, I've always been really intrigued by the prospect of nuclear fusion. No, it's, it's especially because I think what, you know, um, what originally got me into this is like with liquid fast metal breeders and everything like mm -hmm. that, and the ability for, um, to create a source of energy that creates more output than it does input. So you're able to actually create from one fuel source, more of another fuel source, which is inherently plus energy. It's not inherently free because there's still an, an inherent in source, but there isn't, it, it is. A, a way to extend the life of your energy yield just like indefinitely energy uh, density yeah, right like like it's insane and it gets into like the level of like mini stars basically of like uh energy ability right mm -hmm. um and being able to like be able to have that constant production in you know in, in being able to eventually maybe now this is really thought experimenting now um, mirroring it with um, the developments we're getting here with this kind of fusion technology, right? You know, being, those are, are not inherently separate. Um, and just not sure what the research would be to bring them together. But that'd right. be just a fascinating, fascinating um, production. Um, you know, being able to produce right. um, that would be a game changer um, um, in how we interact with the world. And it's just through sheer dedication and hard work, right? This is, this is what this initiative is for. And being able to produce um huge gravitational preppers that that require you know traditionally uh 10 million celsius degrees like that's just like your brain doesn't like that that does that's not a real number to my 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 mind no um so you know it's just it's fascinating um and you know especially with their introductions with like the jet uses with um how they prefer to you make actually make the fuel um, with being actually a plasma matrix it's just you know it's just being able to use other forms of energy is just really um it's really cool again like i said from just being that nerd you know um just geeking out over it right yeah um these numbers like you know while like i can get like how in order to make this a possibility it took over like five thousand science and engineering experts from across the eu right like you can get like it takes this but like my mind doesn't like understand yep. what those numbers actually look like in a real world like scale right like just to be able to see all that stuff um yeah it's such it's an insane. effort man it's like the such humanity it's like this is what humanity can do and it's pretty cool yeah and that that is honestly another thing that excites me just in the realm of science as a whole like it, isn't it just so cool to think like how we truly have broken barriers when we really put our minds to it like the fact that Right now, it seems like on an interstellar front, like we're never going to be able to visit other stars, right? Because it's just the current technology we have is just yeah. way too slow to do anything like that. But who's to say that we can't actually come up with the technology to do something like that? It might take a long time, but there is a weight calculation to where we're only going to need a certain amount of time with our technological, you know, resources and um, thinking and, and all of that to actually devise a solution to do that. And that's kind of what we're seeing with energy right now is that, like you said, it, it's been the culmination of interdisciplinary efforts and a lot of time and a lot of thinking about the problems from different angles to be able to come up with a solution. But I think you made some really good points. You, you made the point that nuclear fusion energy is extremely dense it's energy dense just like the you know breeder reactors like those are also energy dense sources of energy because they essentially give you more bang for your buck they give you more output for your inputs and that is so important mm -hmm. but you also made the point of diversification right like even once we develop this fusion technology it's not just going to suddenly replace every other form of energy like that like it's actually healthy to have a diversified grid because every source of energy is inherently different and it's resistant to different conditions. It also has the ability to um, make your grid very versatile. So if you need certain forms of energy for certain things, you have different options essentially. So, and I think the prospect of being able to use different forms of 
nuclear together or different forms of renewable together. It's very exciting. I think at the end of the day, all I want to see as an individual, Nathaniel, is just for us to start really embracing the science and making that transition to cleaner forms of energy. Because to be honest with you, with our depleting sources of natural gas and petroleum, I don't see why in the next 100 or 200 years, why we should not be able to transition off those fuel sources, given we continue to make progress at the rate that we have already. No, and that's the thing is like, these are non-linear models you're talking about. This kind of technology development and sustainability is not in a linear trajectory. And like you were talking about with Mohm's law um, there with it, just the energy capacitors themselves. This is not a, um, this is going to be something when all of a sudden it becomes available, it is available. And it's just getting to that point, you know, and that transdisciplinary research um, in order to make that happen and to be able to make that a reality um, is really impressive. And it is just a fantastic use of the technology and the skills of the human labor and ingenuity. Um, and um, there is no reason why um, it shouldn't be able to have more besides the current modality questions that we can talk about and existential risk questions um, that we can't have this kind of technology implemented on a scale that really does fundamentally change how we interact with the world and the, the systems around us. And then, you know, possibly talk about becoming a class one civilization, right? And taking those steps. Yeah. Um, so it's interesting just to have those concepts and those, 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 those questions really, um, answered and seeing like, this is, uh, a pathway that we can go down that could take us to these, these, these results and these, these steps. Yeah. You, you said it best yourself. Like we are on, at least scientifically speaking, we are actually on the trajectory to one day become that civilization where we actually have the resources and the technology to colonize space, to continue our exploration of the universe and to discover new medicines, to discover new forms of energy, to make sure that people don't go hungry, to make sure that everybody has electricity and internet access, to make sure that we are able to sustain food sources for everybody in a sustainable fashion. I mean, you look at just the fact that we're able to grow meat in a lab now. I mean, just like how? Like you would have never thought anything like that was even possible like 10 to 20 years ago. But here we are, like just the rapid advance, the rapid march of science is just, it's so incredible. And I just, I love seeing it personally. No, it really is the continued transitions. Um, it's really, it's really interesting. Like as you know, as you as we, because we grew up um, in this era of rapid technological change, and you know, we look back on the time of previous rapid rapid technological change. Like with the, at least talking specifically with nuclear, right? We've there's been very distinct eras in human histories with nuclear energy and nuclear technology. Yeah. The initial implementation of it within um, military use. Um, to the Cold War and then to actual legitimate energy use developments to now where we're at in this post-Cold War, re-Cold War, whatever the hell in now we're at. <laughs> um, but we're like taking these like legitimate steps. One, actually really, really reduce the harm. Like this kind of energy use um, um, is a lot, has a lot, a different arms capability and a different um, energy sector, civilian capability, right? Mm -hmm. So it's interesting to see that we're getting to this point with this technology where we're starting to see an active development in these different industries with it, that while still related and still very complex technology that can be used in many different applications, um, you can see how these are these different forms of implementation. Um, and that's that these are these are very hard policy questions and that we're going to have to be asking because you know with these modality changes comes very 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 important to do we be do we continue to exist as a society um because like the, the, the yeah. risks are so high like i said at the top of this episode it's a trade-off right between what sustains us and what sustains our environment and i think i i am a true believer in sustainability of course and i think that there are definitely ways that we can become more technologically advanced to lessen the impact on society but i will go on the record and say this nathaniel when you have seven plus billion humans on earth like as opposed to the hundreds of thousands we had maybe back in the agricultural days like thousands of years ago i mean 
there's just no comparison. Well, not even just thousands of years ago, hundreds of years ago. Yeah, I mean, yeah, back when the population could be measured in millions, right? Just hundreds yeah. of years ago. It's like, what I'm saying is that, like, the impact is going to be there. You can mitigate it, but it can't go away unless you literally leave the planet. Like, that is one thing I really want to stress here is that, you know, if the goal of sustainability is essentially bringing the earth back to a net zero impact from humanity, well, good luck with that, because that's not going to happen. That That is where the voluntary extinction of humanity comes into play. But it also shouldn't be, though. It should be humanity. There is no such thing as a natural disaster. There are disasters. Humanity is a fundamental part of the complex systems that make up the globe and the world, right? So it should never be like a net zero human impact. It should be how is humans relationship with the rest of the net world done? It's how do we, how are we mm -hmm. um, caretakers and not overlords? How are we managing these things and how are we um, effectively using and um, allowing for the growth and development and protection and um, wildness of the world to still exist, right? It's how do we have that complex relationship? That's that's the real question right there. Absolutely. I, I honestly, Nathaniel, I couldn't have said it better myself. That is a beautiful statement and I feel the same way. How do we make our environment better around us while acknowledging that we still have impacts that need to be mitigated or structured in a way that could actually provide some net benefit to the environment rather than just something that is a complete net negative to the environment like dumping trash in the ocean, right? So I think we need to really be conscious of that as we continue to develop technologically as a society, because unless humans voluntarily went extinct, we are always going to have some impact on the environment. I don't believe that we should voluntarily go extinct, to be honest with you, because I, I think collectively as a society, we just need to learn to live together. You know, plants, animals, humans, we just all need to be in a symbiotic relationship and just learn to, to live together. I mean, we've already seen evolutionary pressures put on plants and animals because of the changes that humans have made. There's animals that their behaviors are different because of human impacts. And sometimes it could be something that they can adapt to. But I'm saying we need to also make the effort to adapt just as they're adapting. So it's just all part of the complex ecosystem that we call planet Earth, right? It really, 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 really is that complex relationship. And that's why it's, it is our relationship with it. It's not this like phony baloney, like um, interpretation of that. No, it is like, how are we having these relationships with these? Um, and how are we are, are attributing to these cycles and what are our contributions? What are our externals? What are our impacts and what are our, our consumption factors? Um, and it's really being able to, but that's why I think I get so excited about this kind of energy potential because it is offering an op, a new modality and a new potential for those different things. And that's why I, I love that. And I, that's, that's what I want to do. That, like, that's what I want to get involved with. I want to make sure this stuff gets implemented and uh, we can actually see those transformative futures. Right. And it's very important from a policy perspective and even the marketing perspective if you think about it because nuclear energy has had a very complicated tumultuous past it's been literally sabotaged too it has been sabotaged and i i will be honest i was even one that i was very hesitant of nuclear fission just because of what i had seen but i think that you have to evaluate all of those situations within the given context and when you look back at like even World War II, when the U.S. dropped those bombs on Japan, right, and just obliterating complete cities, I think that really scared a lot of people. Like just seeing the sheer power of nuclear energy and then seeing what happened at Chernobyl and, and seeing what happened at Fukushima. But if anything, you can also view that in a positive light, too, because look at outside of those instances, how stable nuclear energy is when it's channeled in a non-war fashion to generate electricity here in the phoenix metro area we have the palo verde generating station and that that's generating power based off of nuclear fission as well basically what i'm saying is it's a huge responsibility it's a huge burden in terms of nuclear fission but when it's managed responsibly that is when you actually reap the benefits of such an energy now obviously nuclear fusion is way more powerful it's a lot cleaner but still it's going to have to be managed responsibly because anytime you're harnessing the energy of the sun 
you can't just hand the keys to the power plant over to just about anybody. I, I think what we've learned as a society is we have the ability to generate massive quantities of energy. We're able to do amazing things technologically, but anytime that is not handled in a responsible fashion, it ends up bad. I think even parallels to that could be made with like cryptocurrency if it's not properly regulated with NFTs and, and how people there, they're complaining that there's a lack of regulation there and, and people are kind of, you know, getting screwed over, right? Or um, like whenever, there, whenever there's just a lack of purpose or regulation to make sure that things are running smoothly, that's when humanity starts to crumble, when we kind of just say, oh, well, you know, we're not going to really make an effort to control this. Like, no, like in the case of nuclear energy, you absolutely have the responsibility to control it. But if you do, you're going to be that, you know, type A civilization where you can pretty much just do about anything that you put your mind to. And, and that's really the struggle we're going through right now, Nathaniel, is that is it going to be a hard sell for people to convert energy, regardless if it's nuclear fusion or whatever? Absolutely. Is this something that we need to do to move forward as a society? Also, absolutely. I just think that it, it's all about the narrative and it's all about the policy, which I know that's something that you're very familiar with, being someone that is passionate about policy yourself. No, and that's, I think, um, I mean, well, that's why, you know, I'm going to school for public policy, right? That's the, <laughs> like, <laughs> that's the cat's out of the bag on that one, right? Yes. Um, is because that's, those are the hard questions. And then, like, how do we actually implement these teams and how do we actually have, like, the strategic um, teamwork and partnerships? And that's going to take across different departments to make it actually work um is oof, oof. those are that, 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 those are going to be conversations my friend right you know and the thing is because there isn't that you know they, there hasn't been that development there's been there's a lot of been academic conversations on about this stuff um but really since the end of the actual cold war you know it's been really one of those things that has been um really been difficult to actually work with and implement so we'll see actually how it actually ends up working out. And, you know, really, if anything else comes to fail, these cookies keeping us safe, you know, in the background, barking up a storm, right? So, you know, at least we got that going for us so she'll keep us safe. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, she she's the gatekeeper right now of this conversation and just making sure that, you know, no uh, misinformation leaks into the podcast, right? Yeah, exactly. She's here to keep us just safe from um, just so we know in general, in case anything that's just a little, maybe a little too spooky, you know? Absolutely. Well, before we close out this episode, Nathaniel, I did want to just give a quick breakdown since we are on the topic of fusion of how nuclear fusion works. Now, I will not go too much into detail because on this article I am linking, there is a visual diagram here of how nuclear fusion works. But essentially, just to describe it real quick, there's basically where the name fusion comes from is two different isotopes of hydrogen come together, the hydrogen atom, one is deuterium, one is tritium, and when those come together under the right conditions, again, the pressure and heat that we spoke about earlier, those two atoms fuse together in a fusion reaction. And the byproducts are a helium atom, which has two protons, two neutrons, and then the extra neutron actually, you know, is released from that fusion reaction and it distributes heat into a body of water which then generates steam which rotates a turbine and there you go there's your energy so it's kind of ironic to me coming full circle here nathaniel how the reaction that the jet facility was able to sustain for five seconds was able to essentially be the same amount of energy to um, boil 60 kettles worth of water right well a typical nuclear fusion reaction, all it's trying to do is just generate a little steam. And hopefully that steam can power the turbines to move us forward as a society and continue to build that momentum for us. I couldn't think of anything um, more I could be hopeful for. So I agree very full-heartedly with that assessment of it. Yep. And um, hopefully sooner rather than later, right? We'll, we'll see what happens, but you know, you also don't want to rush it. So it is, uh, it's, it's an exciting promise. We'll see what happens, you know, maybe years down the line from now, we'll talk about this again, if there's any more developments, but just one exciting time to be a human, right? What a time to be a lover of science. No, I couldn't think of anything more. So 
Um, I think that we're going to be very um, prone to be able to take those next steps and uh, really be witness to see what happens in our lifetime. And that's really cool. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. All right, Nathaniel, well, anything else you wanted to say to kind of close this out for today on the topic of fusion? Um, the, I think that, you know, realistically, it's just one of those things. Be excited. This, it, this doesn't mean we don't take, have to keep taking those next steps forward in other forms of sustainable development and risk mitigation and disaster work. Um, but we, we really do need to um, continue to make these next steps forward and need to create a, a greater literacy for this kind of stuff. So um, as always, thank you for all joining. If you want to continue listening to me, I am back on The Descent Into Illumination. You can find it anywhere podcasts are. Jared, you're going to be on there eventually, as is anyway. Yep. But, um, you know, just kind of figuring out just how my rambling narrative is going to evolve again. Happy to be <laughs> back, you know, um, as busy as I am. So. Um, thanks for the love appreciate you appreciate being here and uh, i'm gonna go clean my apartment absolutely i'm i'm gonna clean my house so you know (laughs) (laughs) i guess we're cleaning so um but yeah i mean thank you for joining me nathaniel like i said you're just a, a beautiful person inside and out really blessed to be joined by your presence and your thoughtful wisdom insights and definitely steeps you need to check out the descent into illumination it is a wonderful podcast completely a different format from what we do here on a cup of tea but i think that anyone who is invested in the human condition and human experience and in just general thought i think would really be captivated by the different topics that you've talked about and and how you've like collaborated with other people there so it's a really exciting time to be a podcaster as well in our space so Look out for the collab in the near future, Steeps. There will be a crossover episode at some point. And for now, we will be signing off and we'll leave you with this wonderful, insightful news of nuclear fusion. Bye-bye. Later, Steeps. Thanks for listening about Fusion. Check out the description of this episode for the resource we referenced on this topic. If this podcast is your cup of tea, then please subscribe for the latest freshly brewed content. As always, let your thirst for curiosity leave you feeling enlightened.